0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Welcome back, guys. DGS and CamelWax 205. Our friend Colonel Jeff McCausland, uh, security expert for CBS and here at the DGS, joins us again. Colonel, thank you so much for being with us on a Monday. Great to with you. So uh, I have some specific questions, and I'm going to let you kind of take it from there and tell us what you know and, and what's meaningful to you. But with this latest attack, we lost you know three soldiers, others injured, tying it uh, back to Iran, of course. My first question: Never having served a day I- in uniform, so I don't, I know nothing about nothing. But I don't like that it feels so relatively easy to get to us. And hurt us. Do you agree with that, or is that just my ignorance and, and this is just the way the game is played, Dave?
2: Well, I wouldn't call you ignorant for sure, but I think that getting to us easily is, is not exactly correct. Uh, look at it this way there have been 160 attacks conducted against U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria since the 17th of October by various Iraqi groups, most notably the one we think perpetrated this one, a group called Qatab Hezbollah. And in all those cases, most of those were frustrated. We have suffered a few injuries. All the soldiers, to the best of my knowledge, but a couple that were injured were uh, uh, returned to duty. Uh, So this is the first time this has resulted, frankly, in such casualties on this scale. Now, that being said, uh, I have feared for a long time that eventually something like this would happen because, again, if you keep doing something like this over and over and over, one of these gunners are going to get lucky or they're going to do it at the right time, which could have happened here, or they're going to figure out a way to deliver the ordinance. Eventually, they're going to get lucky if you keep it up. But so far, we have really frustrated their attacks uh, largely since they began. And the vast majority of the missiles that have been fired by the Houthis, for example, in Yemen against commercial shipping in the Red Sea and at Israel, the vast majority of them have been shot down and rendered harmless. A couple have in gotten through, but I think it does suggest that hitting us uh, is not easy technologically. Now it is easy, you could say, because if you look across the Middle East, we have a substantial number of bases. I think the total is about 25,000 or more U.S. military forces in the region. About 2,500 in Iraq, about 800 or so in Syria. This base in Jordan, about 350. So by having those various bases, if you will, scattered around like islands all across the Middle East, puts them in you know geographic mm-hmm. proximity. Where they do travel in harm's way. Help me understand,
1: uh, Colonel, because I know that there is obviously there, there's always a military part of it and there's always a diplomatic part of it. There's always a political part of it. And the politics, uh, people on the right are saying, well, this is because Joe Biden is just so weak and no one's afraid of us anymore and X, Y, Z. That doesn't bother me so much because we're in a presidential election year. What does kind of get to me is when uh, Secretary of State Blinken comes out and the first thing he says is, now, look, uh, I just want everyone to know we're not looking to escalate anything here. As a smart guy, I get it. As a former lawyer, I get it. Uh, but I also get pissed off. And I, I I don't like that we just come right out and say, like, look, we're not going to hurt you too bad. Don't worry about it. Um, again, is it just my not being a professional? Because I, I don't want someone to come out and say, hey, we're going to turn that into glass, but maybe something in the middle.
2: Well, I'm going to take this in, uh, in, in two parts. The first part that you know doesn't bother you if all these politicians say, yeah, let's go ahead and strike Iran, well, it bothers me a lot, frankly, because the vast majority, if not most of these guys, have never served in uniform and never sm- smelled gunpowder being fired, Will never have never had a child who served in uniform, never will have a child who served in uniform. And so they're just scoring cheap political points with their base about threatening to take on the Iranians start a major war in the region, which would stretch from the Mediterranean to the Iranian border, and end up killing hundreds of thousands of people, a large number of would be Americans. And that could end up being the result, and that might be appropriate. But I think it's kind of loose lips on the part of some people that know very little about this, and I just wish they'd go back to work and pass a budget for FY24, and we're in the second quarter of FY24 right now. So enough about that. As far as Mr. Blinken's comments, yeah, I might, in fact, agree with you there, to tell you the truth. Now, you don't telegraph your punches. That's one of the first rules in negotiations. But that being said, Lincoln as the State Department, now the diplomatic lead, uh, is, if you will, talking to a whole bunch of different constituencies. He's certainly speaking to the constituency of our adversary, Iran and these particular groups. Yeah, and that might send the wrong message. He's speaking to our allies. He's speaking to people in the so-called global south who are curious why we're upset that Iran is supporting Hezbollah on these groups, but it's okay for us to spend vast amounts of military assistance to Israel, and that's okay. They draw that kind of equivalency, which I would argue with, but they draw that particular equivalency. And it's also speaking to the audience of our allies, because if we get involved in a major conflict in the Middle East, we'd like them to be on our side in the process.
1: Um- Colonel, following up, uh, another sort of philosophic question here, but I've always wondered this, uh, that in any conflict, in any firefight, in any war, you're going to have to err on one side or the other. You're going to have to err on the side of, look, we could decimate them, but let's hold back. Let's not make this any worse. Or you could err on the side of, let's teach them a lesson, what happens when you mess with the bull. In your time in the military, has that training, and I understand Different officers do it different ways, and different situations call for different measures. But the sure. overall effect, you know, World War 2 let's go get them. Shock and awe, let's go get them. Has that changed much overall in your experience?
2: Well, I think it has changed a bit because we're talking a very nuanced, again, conflict. And we really do not want a major conflict across the region. I think, frankly, both Democrats and Republicans would agree with that. And the Biden administration, I think, has been trying to walk that fine line of providing military assistance to Israel, which was attacked, while at the same time damping down the possibilities of that escalation in its dealings, not only with these groups, but also with other attacks like the Houthis striking out at commercial shipping. I mean, the bottom line is this. It's always easy to start a war. That's really pretty easy. Just do a major attack on somebody's capital, and next thing you know, you'll be in a major conflict, Ending those things is the problem, and that we saw vividly played out to us in our invasions in Iraq and Afghanistan. Hopefully that's tempered our thinking in that regard. So if the administration right now to take a tempered approach uh, uh, and thinking through, first of all, who really did this? Probably Katabas, but let's get into our intelligence and make sure that's true. Where are they right now? How can we hit them really hard, and I want us to do that, in a fashion that does them real damage— and hopefully sends that message to them that you don't want to do this again. And furthermore, send a similar message to the Iranians. Does that demand perhaps a direct attack on Iran? It might, but you can always do that. You can always do that. We don't need to do that necessarily right now, perhaps. And that's why I think thinking a day or so and making it a measured response, positioning the forces that you've got is appropriate. And don't forget, as I said before, we've got these islands of U.S. forces scattered throughout the Middle East, you could call these small Alamos or small Fort Apaches. If we even do a major escalation, all of those troops are a lot more vulnerable than they are right now. And we've got to figure out a way to defend them if they're attacked further, extract them if, if things get really bad, that becomes a major, major military operation. If you're just joining us, we're talking to our friend Colonel
1: Jeff McCausland, a security expert for CBS and uh, here at KMOX. Um, Everything keeps coming back to Iran. And I know that Iran is very good at propaganda, misinformation, fighting through proxies. But if and when we do go toe-to-toe with Iran, I really don't have any idea of their capabilities. Can you kind of educate us about that, both on the ground and possibly nuclear? Sure.
2: Yeah. Uh, first of all, we have to understand these groups are Iranian-backed. But that doesn't necessarily mean Iranian-directed. And what do I mean by that? They're Iranian-backed. They're provided military hardware. They're provided training, worthy drones, perhaps produced in Iran, very likely, with munitions aboard that, take your drone, manufacture in Iran, possibly, though there's a lot of manufacturing all throughout the region of explosives and the like. So they provide that kind of assistance, money, et cetera. Uh, But they're not necessarily directed. I don't think necessarily Tehran sent out an order to these guys to attack that base because it's vulnerable and see how many Americans you could kill. Uh, I still believe, as does the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Iranians like managed chaos. They like the pressure being put on the United States, which now has resulted in our negotiations with the Iraqis about a timeline for us to withdraw from Iraq, a major goal, oh, by the way, of Iran for many, many years to get us out of the region. But I don't think they necessarily want to go toe to toe with the great Satan because they realistically, through all their rhetoric, know what that might look like. And they're having enough problems their own at home with internal terrorist attacks, with a domestic economy that's in the shatters, with a, new, with a near revolution a couple of years ago internally. They got their own problems uh, internally. So I don't think they're necessarily ready to do that. As far as their capabilities go, they do not, to the best of my knowledge, have a nuclear weapon. Uh, They're moving in the direction of trying to develop one, it appears, but they have not crossed the threshold of a nuclear test for a warhead and the ability to deliver it. So put that to one side. Mm -hmm. They have a very, very antiquated and weak air force, without a doubt. But they have a large number of longer-range missile systems, just demonstrated one the other day, in firing in response to these terrorist attacks and struck Syria. They also struck Pakistan and others. Part of that was hopefully to demonstrate they're still powerful in the eyes of their population, part of that was to demonstrate this new capability for sale. I think to possible purchasers, they have a lot of long-range missile systems that could strike out geographically, based on other naval presence, short-range missiles, anti-ship missiles, and the like, they could probably pretty well close down the Straits of Hormuz for the export of oil and natural gas coming out of there. And if they did that, well, you might think see the price of oil bump bump up to about $150 a barrel almost overnight. Now directly that does not affect the United States because of our domestic production, but it affects our economy more broadly because it harms Chinese economy, Japanese economy, Korean economy, all the European economies. So they could certainly do that with the military capabilities they have. And then finally, of course, they could <clears throat> remotivate even further all the proxies they've got, Houthis in Yemen. They could uh Encourage Hezbollah and Southern Lebanon to expand the attacks they're already doing against Israel and have another major war going on there. As not and not only that, of course, but expand the number of attacks on our forces all across the region.
1: Um uh, not just blowing smoke. I really learned a lot uh during this segment. Colonel <laughs> Jeff McCauslin, thank you so much. We'll talk to you You're soon. Too kind. Oh, no, absolutely You're too true. kind. Thank Thanks. you, Jeff. Um you. He, Yeah, I really did. I really did. You know, and those are the times when, and and I face this a lot, where you feel smart and you feel like you're right. And then you talk to someone who's trained and experienced and sober, and they go, not here's where you got it wrong. Right. And how long was that? 10 minutes? In 10 minutes, he was able to turn me around on, yeah, I guess you're right. We shouldn't just nuke him or whatever it is I'm feeling in my Scottish blood. Yeah. It just, it, I, I, I so appreciate people like this. And look, I apologize. I don't, I don't mean to turn everything into an attack on our current politicians. But w- when people try to figure me out politically, this is what I want. I want someone serious and sober and experienced and wise and quick to listen and slow to talk that's what i want in my politicians men women gay straight black white republican independent democrat senate congress jeff city springfield that's what i want i'm tired of the of the rodeo clowns that makes sense
3: absolutely and i think all of the people that are in congress whether it's the house or the senate they are listening to people like him Right. And they 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 understand all of that, but they can't allow that to be the public face. So what the, the reason that they're saying all those things, is because their battle is to knock down their political opponents. So whatever you can lob the way of the opponent is what you're going to do publicly, even if you are listening to the rational voices behind the scenes mm-hmm.
4: and he, he brings up such a great point when he said that people calling for this with Iran are they have never served or have never had a child that's ser- that's such a sobering point to bring up and something we don't think yeah. about enough i mean at the end of the day i really only care about the opinions of people who have served
1: 225 dgs on came wax sun's out supposed to be pretty nice this week 60 degrees on thursday i'm off thursday um
3: was that an announcement? I'm just trying to slide it in. It's going to be like, I told you
1: guys. Like, I'm uh, have a cough under- pull the tape. <laughs> so, Wheels, one reason uh, to not suck as a major league team like the Cardinals did last year is so that the next year you don't get questioned on every single thing you do.
3: Yeah, it, it's an interesting spot right now. Like, every move comes with anger. Yeah. Right. Uh, and even ones that shouldn't, like Sunny Gray was a great signing. You know, I mean, it's second in the Cy Young yeah. Award race last year. But even that was like a lot s- of
1: anger at the coach. Well, well deserved, I think. Um.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the you know, but even like with Sunny Gray, it will be like, oh, well, they took the the least expensive option. They didn't go for Snell or yeah. or, or Yamamoto or whatever. They're doing the the cheaper version of it. Like that. Even a really smart move comes with criticism. And then all the little ones, it's just like. Break out the hammer every week when something small goes down. Like, yeah. Remember, when I mean, we talked about Matt Carpenter, I mean, that, that was, the that the, there was no, I, I think it was, I think it was either, I think it might have been Randy Carricker last night when we were on Sports Plus mentioned it. He's like, there was no like mixed reviews on that. It was like 99% negative from the fan base perspective. Yeah. And they're in an interesting spot where if they're not good this year, you've got a lot of fans that are like ready to start lighting torches and bring in pitchforks. And I'm not sure that that's justified after one terrible year. But it is a, it's, it's a city. It's a fan base that has expectations of being good because the team has been good and because they always say that they plan to be good. So when you're going to come out and say we, yeah. our, our plan is to win the division to make the playoffs, well, that's going to be the expectation.
1: Back to Marmol, he and I have like this fake fight that's not really fake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but a real question. So he was brand new. Right, all yeah. shiny and new. Yeah. Um, do you think most fans expect the Cardinals to go get a generational stud uh, manager? Like that's I, what we deserve.
3: I think a lot of people look at it that way, and I think the, the the questions about managers are are valid. I mean, they've now had four managers in the last five years. Uh, well, I mean, not five years. It's it's more like eight years. But you know, counting Tony Larusso, yeah. I, mean, I mean, that's not true. It's so four in the last. 11 years, 12 years, but, you know, since Mike Matheny, Matheny, Schilt, and Marmol all in a very small yes. window, three guys in about five years. Um, and they're all no major league managing experience, though Mike Matheny obviously had a great major league career and had plenty of experience at that level. And Schilt had a lot of experience in the minor leagues as a manager, so did Ali Marmel. Um, the bottom line, though, is that their success and or failures have mostly come down to whether or not the roster is good enough. And if the roster is good enough, those guys will probably be okay.
0: Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.
4: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
2: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
3: Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
4: You have 47 new voicemails.
0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.
1: Price and coverage match limited by state law. 234 DGS. Sun is back out. Dave Murray joins us. Hello, Dave. That's in an hour. Oh my gosh, what's <laughs> wrong with me? Yeah, I'm
3: sorry. I was like, whoa, Dave's early today.
1: I, I was like, whoa, we're flying by. Man, oh man. Doesn't too... feel like a
4: Monday at all. Oh, wait, yes
3: it does. It felt like 2 p.m. like half an hour ago. <laughs> I'm the
4: sleep deprived one, Dave. I don't I know. know what you're doing
3: right now. I know, I know, I know. I have done that kind of thing so many times. <laughs> so many times.
1: I just looked and all the no- all the numbers were right. They were just in the wrong order. I'm <laughs> 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 there's a three and another three. Uh, here, let, let's let, let me drill a little deeper on what a jerk I am. Um, if I, I hate, there's certain things that people can do and say, and this is awful. Where I'm just done. I'm just out. I don't need to know anymore. For example, if I say, uh, "Hey, you ready," and you say, "I was born ready," I don't want to go with you anymore. Hmm. Oh, wow. Forever again. Okay. Yeah, little things like that.
4: That makes me worried because I say cheesy stuff like that all the time.
1: Yeah, me too. Yeah, but you're cool. You're doing it in a funny way.
4: Okay. So if you're being ironic, it's fine. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay, yes.
1: okay. Okay. Does anybody mean it when they say that? But here's the <laughs> thing, though. Yes. Really? The people who don't get it. Now we sound like real jerks, but the whole... <laughs> <laughs> he, he's <the>, lugging <laughs> us all in and no, saying, no, we.
0: Get, get me on
1: this. The whole catchphrase of the show is, I get it, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh-huh. And there are people who say things like, I was born ready, uh, and they
3: mean it. Oh. Uh-huh. Oh, so they don't get it. I have never met one of those. They're not
1: saying it in a silly kind of way. Okay. Like,
3: yeah. I thought it was all kind of, just kind of like your throwaway Arnold you have line, no you know? inner monologue. Yeah. That's what it is. Oh. Your inner
1: <laughs> monologue tells you when the people are like that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Man, I would not want to know those people either if they mean it.
1: Uh, stairway to Kevin. All right, let's do this. Um, also, we're going to uh, have a, a segment that uh, Andrew uh, mistakenly <laughs> named called... Kevin is a place on earth, yes. right? <laughs> yes.
3: Kevin is a place on earth. Oh man, love Woo. it. What we what was the perp? I mean, what was the the original the goal of that of what that segment? That or was it just the same? You no, just said different No, i talking about name. Bon Jovi. Oh, that's what it was. And yeah. I was saying
1: that yeah. you know, that. Uh, when I found out that he wrote the Belinda Carlisle, hit, right, 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 it changed the way I looked at Bon Jovi, right. And then you guys started singing and dancing to it, and that's well, why I was only dancing when Andrew said, "Kevin is a place on Earth."
4: <laughs> do you guys remember this segment was originally called "Kevin Help Us"?
3: Yep, yep.
4: But I like stairway. I like Kevin. stairway
3: better. I you know, like the tie-in to Led Zeppelin. Mm. Makes me feel cool. <laughs> Not much else does. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's. I want to do a little audio with this because. Um, I don't know To me, it's kind of a, an annoying symptom of things that are happening on social media uh, for purposes of getting attention. Do you know the comedian Mark Norman? Do you guys know him? I know I him now, so. yeah. only from this story. Okay, he's good. I really like Mark Norman. He's funny. He's a funny dude. Um, he was doing a show in New York within the last handful of days, and it, it got interrupted. Some people came up on stage, and that whole thing has gone viral. So I want to play it for you, and then we'll tell you what the deal was. Ready? Okay.
1: All right. Uh oh. Oh jeez. Hey, how are we? What do we got? A migrant here. Hey, what's going on? Oh, jeez. Everything all right? Just want to make sure everybody's good here. What's going on? Uh oh. Oh boy. Hey. Anything can happen in a comedy show. You guys, everything's fine.
0: Um, we just had a
1: momentary
4: interruption. Um, uh, just say, get up, get out the the taping. Um, yes, can we
2: get out or what? Cut the camera. Yeah, just.
1: yeah, I'm one of the producers of the show. Um, yeah, we just need everybody to get out, please. Uh, Mark's coming
3: back. Nice and slow. Nice and slow. Everything's All right, fine. So Mark Norman's doing his set. Guy comes up on stage and they kind of get him off and then people start to m- mill around and move and there's talking and more people come on stage. And then these people are like shoved out the door. And then a security guy comes in, grabs Mark Norman and rushes him out the door. Then you have the two people, the woman and the man come up and say, we just, we just need everybody to leave. Everything's under control, but we need everybody to get up and leave right now. Let's go. So what happened was this was staged. The whole incident was staged by a production company that had rented out the club for the night. The comedian, Mark Norman did not know this was going to happen. But they staged this whole thing for some purpose to get attention. Production company is called High High, Like, hi, hi, like the word High. For who? Who, I, who? who did they want the publicity for? I don't know that that's clear yet. But it was some kind of stunt or maybe they wanted the footage for something. And that was the point. But Mark Normand has come out since and said, I had no idea this was happening. I didn't know what it was. I was not a part of this. The club came out and said, yeah, this High High production group rented out the space for the night. And that's what this was. This was a stage thing. Nobody was hurt. And for everybody that came here to see a comedy show and didn't get to see it because it was disrupted, we'd like to offer you a chance to come back for free to see a regular show. But you staged, they staged an incident that looked like somebody was being arrested and chased out the door. And we Mm. need you all to leave. The crowd was, they were starting to panic. They were starting to freak out. That is awful. And And the the claim, if I recall, initially from the guy that like kind of jumped up and hops on the stage and kind of starts off the whole thing, was that something like maybe like frightening and paranormal had happened to him? Like so he, he wasn't in on it? Some kind of a demon? The com- the comedian says he was not in on it. No, no, no. The first guy
1: that walked Oh, no, there. I think he was.
3: Yeah. I think everybody was, including the people that came out at the Let end and said, let's get out. Let me tell you why this is awful. That's why I wanted to bring it up. It's awful
1: for so many reasons. It's awful because, hey, production company, people that don't have the talent to go stand on a stage bare naked and make people laugh for an hour, how dare you? How dare you do anything to try to upstage a comedian? How dare you do anything to mess them up? How dare you do anything like that, thinking that you are smarter or more talented than the performer because you are not? And, and most of all, How dare you put people in harm's way? Because this is not 1998. Right. This is 2024. And if I'm in that crowd, especially if I'm with someone who I have responsibility for, uh, that could go bad. And I'm not saying, like, I'm going to pull my gat and I'm going to, no, I'm just saying that, you know, people panic and people Mm -hmm. run and Mm -hmm. people do pull out guns and and bad things happen. And uh, you guys know this, I never say that I am or consider myself a stand-up comedian because I have too much respect for like Greg and and Convy and guys like that. But I have done several stand-up shows. And having hecklers is no fun unless that's a part of what you want to do and it's your crowd work and X, Y, Z. But having a weirdo thing like that happen is never good. You're never coming back from that. And it's just the pure selfishness of it that bothers me. And I don't, I know I can be quite hyperbolic and like, I hope they never work again. I hope to, blah, blah, blah. but I hope they have real consequences to that professionally.
3: I would argue that there should be potentially criminal charges. I mean, he always you, me. you're scared. You're <laughs> scaring a room full of people who knows what, what, like if you're in that, how many times do we have to hear about shootings in public right. places where something crazy is happening and nobody knows what? And then all of a sudden bank, like, how do you, how do you expect people to not freak out? How do you expect people to not, and then to, to offer, I mean, the, the the message from the, it's the New York comedy club, by the way, the message they put out there is, we'd love to host you for an actual show for free. Please email us. Like, why would I ever nope. go back to your place? Nope.
4: Why was the production company, I mean, speaking of that club, why would they rent it out to a production company in the first place and then carry on as normal? That is so weird.
3: And from, I don't know that this is a hundred percent true. But I think it is. The uh, actor, Donald Glover, is supposedly involved with this group, this High High production group. And people were kind of mad, like, are you involved in this? Because it sounds like they were having a contest of some kind. And trying, I don't know, I don't know what the point of the contest was to go viral. I, I have no idea. But we have to figure out that scaring large groups of people in public is not funny. It's not okay. You can't do it.
1: It seems like we are just... either fodder, like we are a possible mark for some TikTok person or YouTube person to come up to and make fun of, uh, or we are an audience. But that's all we are. There just seems, in in today's age, it seems like there are content uh, creators, who's pretty Mm -hmm. much everyone, including your grandma, and then there are targets. Marks. That I'm gonna go out and pretend to take your tray away from you, and you get mad. Or I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Uh, this is a real one. Uh, I'm going to uh, lovingly brush your wife's face, and then when you get up to fight me, I'm gonna go, "Yo, dude, what's wrong? It's a prank." And then there's the audience. I don't like it. I just don't. I, I guess maybe I'm just. This is the future of entertainment, and I'm just a dinosaur. But I don't like it. <sighs> I miss the days when someone could stand on a stage and either by themselves make you laugh or amaze you with their musical ability or dance in such a way that made you cry like the the Nutcracker or Swan Lake or something. That to me is talent. That to me is entertainment. That to to me is amazing if you're just some a-hole that goes out to the Galleria and pretends to touch people's wives and, and take their Panda Express. Really? hmm It seems like kind of a, a de-evolution mm-hmm. of, of entertainment.
4: Well, and it also, anyone can do that. Like, anyone can yes. be a jerk and mess with people and hurt yes. people's feelings publicly, but most of us choose not to because it just causes a big mess and it's not kind and it's this and it's that. So it's kind of like the lowest common denominator, if you even want to call it entertainment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just have no respect for like it's a prank. Bro. I mean, yeah. I mean, some pranks are funny. We've got the king of pranks over here.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's fun to prank people you know, right? And it's not fun to prank people in a way that could scare the death out of them right. in a real life scenario. Like again, if you're gonna prank your buddy, you know what your friends can take. You know what, and maybe you cross the line there too, there because everybody's got a different line but pranking people you don't know and i and i think you nailed it that's a great point Rach. literally anybody can be a jerk as long as you can a anybody take the can be yeah. an ass right anybody can go play these types of pranks you don't have to be smart funny creative anything like that it's not like you know what what sasha Baron cohen did uh playing Borod and you know basically pranking all these dumb people and making them show their asses right i mean he's putting them in positions where they're going to show off their own their own flaws. It's not the same as that when you're coming up into making people think that some incident is taking place and you're just scaring the crap out of them, mm. yeah. or the or the guy that does the thing where he's up in this, he's in the street and he just will walk up to people and stare at him like he wants to fight him. Like that doesn't take. You're not. That's not ability. I
1: no. would say one of these days yeah. someone's going to get shot, but someone already did get yeah. shot. Somebody already yeah. did, and it didn't stop anything. No. Two fifty two DGS. Dave Murray joins us. Dave.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Almost. How you doing, buddy?
1: Good callback. Uh, Rachel's got back from Japan and you saw sumo.
4: Yeah, we went to the Grand Sumo Tournament in Tokyo. It was extremely fun.
1: Okay, the Grand Sumo Tournament suggests that it was, like, a big deal. Uh, And that's the question I was going to ask you is, can you just go to a sumo match on every corner, or are they big deals like when we have football on Sundays?
4: Okay, that's a great question. I I know for, like, the pros, they they have their matches for, like, six months out of the year. And um, three of those are in Tokyo, one's in Osaka, one's in another town. So they have, like, these two-week-long tournaments for half the year, um, sumo is popular. They they call them a sumo stable, like where people live and just learn sumo. So I think it's I think they do have like the minor leagues, but I don't really know much about that. Interesting. Yeah.
1: And you said that to help them get big, they have a food called Make Me Fat. <laughs> so, <laughs>
4: I hope I'm saying this right. It's either Chanko or Chunkonabe.
1: Yeah, chunko makes more sense. Yeah, I do you know I, what it is? is.
4: It's like, uh, it's like pork. And I just watched a video about it this morning. It's like pork, lettuce, tofu. It, it's just like a very dense porridge yeah. that they eat all the time, and then they eat in between meals to get bigger and gain weight.
3: And what was the I, do crowd that. I use like? that same trick?
1: Were they like just going crazy?
4: Um, not really. It's. <sighs> There were a couple uh, wrestlers that people did go nuts for, like the really popular ones. But in general, it was a pretty chill crowd. A lot of foreigners were there. I mean, I'm assuming it's a pretty popular tourist attraction. I mean, I was there. Uh, But it was was really fun. It was very intense in person. I've watched about a million videos about it over the past couple of months because we kind of knew we were going to go do this. Uh, But in person, it's just crazy. Like, they slap their stomachs and they slap their their thighs and stuff. And you can hear it across this giant stadium. They're not mic'd up or anything. It's just, and then whenever they go at each other, it's so loud and it's so brutal.
1: This is fair. Let me ask you about Japan's economy with 90 seconds left. (laughs) Yeah,
4: Um, I'm I'm sure I know the answer to the question. Go
1: for it. But they're a democracy. In general, does it feel as corporate as America? Like, I was going to ask, are these sumo wrestlers millionaires? Are they allowed to be millionaires? But of course, I guess they're allowed to do anything they want.
4: So, I don't know if they're millionaires, but I do know that they win when you win the match they give you an envelope full of cash right there. Oh, so that's kind of cool so you can walk away with a lot of money at the end of a tournament. Um, But I don't know how how their salaries are No, They do this really interesting thing uh, rather than having banners up and like, you know, here in America in stadiums we have like a screen. It'll say Capital One. They have people carry banners around the ring. And the thing about sumo is it's tied to their religion. So only men are allowed on the stage. Women are not allowed up there. And there was like an incident maybe a couple years ago where someone passed out or was in a bad medical situation and a female doctor came up onto the Mm. platform and it was like a big no-no so but whenever they do the advertisements they're just holding these uh, these banners and walking around the stage and the camera's getting that but it of course it has a be all men which I think is kind of interesting yeah but it was really really fun it was really fun you guys would have loved it is the
1: whole um, culture a bit misogynist like that as far as there's definitely a a difference between
4: men and women in a way there isn't in the United States. Okay. It's just something you kind of notice more. Yeah. And you see a lot more women just wearing like dresses and skirts and, and, you know, there's plenty of people who don't, but it does seem like it's like, uh, it is very accepted and celebrated to be like a housewife in Japan. So uh,
1: That's so interesting to me. So like what we think of as toxic masculinity, uh-huh. would that be a thing in Japan or would it be more the opposite where there's more, uh, Expectations and demands put on men, maybe think, the way it was 30, 40 years ago. Here, I think, I think that more traditional. Yes,
4: they have a lot of traditions, and I mean, it's it's, it's very similar to American culture in many ways. But
1: you yeah. you notice
4: the difference. Wheeler questions. Griller
1: go. <laughs> I don't have any. Is there a big middle class? I don't know. Oh, God, Rachel, you've been <laughs> twice. <laughs> I need to, like, meet with an ambassador For or the something. love of God, you
3: just got back. <laughs> I think you addressed this before, but you, theres no, do you see homeless people there?
4: I saw three homeless people when I was in Tokyo, and that was it. Well, and that's
3: again, how many
1: people live in Tokyo? Uh,
4: 38 million, something like that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating, really different. Okay, I blew through my life. I'll do it at another time. Let's just take it out with Rush or Journey's Fine.
0: <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.